Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. Always great to join you at the end of the week so we could play that uh, inevitable game of catch-up because the world being what it is, there's always lots to catch up on. Uh, Those of you who are familiar with me, familiar with my program, know that ever since the terror attacks of 9-11, I've been a man on a mission. I've been doing my best to educate as many of our fellow Americans and as many of our supposed political leaders about the clear nexus between immigration law enforcement, border security, and the threats posed by terrorism, transnational criminals, drug traffickers, uh, and others who would do harm to America and or Americans. And it's not a statement of xenophobia, because the very same immigration laws that tell us who to kick out and who to keep out, and it has nothing to do with what I call superficial factors, race, religion, or ethnicity. It's all about keeping out aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, mental illness, those who are criminals and spies and terrorists and human rights violators, human traffickers, drug smugglers, fugitives from justice. Uh, And then we work our way down to aliens who would become a public charge, or if they worked, would take the jobs of Americans and or suppress the wages of American workers. This is irrespective of where they're from. Uh, The only time that we impose limits on people by their countries of citizenship, as has been done when the president determines that for one reason or another, and generally in this post-9-11 era, the impossibility to vet aliens who come from a very limited number of countries poses a clear threat to public safety and national security. And while it's been referred to as a Muslim ban, nothing could be further from the truth because the three most populous countries that have Muslim majorities are Indonesia, Pakistan, and India, and they've never been on the list. So if this is about a Muslim ban, then the president is doing an inept and incompetent job. This is about keeping out aliens who come from countries that sponsor terrorism. And for one reason or another, those countries are not making it um, possible for us to properly screen the citizens of those countries. And that has always been the basis for what we've been doing. And it's not limited to what President Trump has has done. It was done by Jimmy Carter. It was done by George W. Bush. It was done, believe it or not, by Barack Obama. So this is about protecting America and Americans. Nothing could be more reasonable or sensible. But, of course, the mainstream media that has become a propaganda machine immediately labels anyone who suggests that we secure borders or enforce immigration laws as being anti-immigrant and a xenophobe. But as I just said, the immigration laws don't only tell us who to kick out and who to keep out. And, by the way, if you want to see the guide that the inspectors at ports of entry use in making their determinations – Go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. That's Title VIII, United States Code, 1182. And it enumerates the categories of aliens who are deemed to be inadmissible. And you will see with your own eyes that this has nothing to do with race or religion or ethnicity. But those very same laws enable us to admit tens of millions of temporary visitors every year this year being a bit different, obviously, because of the coronavirus. And that also enables us to admit roughly a million lawful immigrants every year and naturalize hundreds of thousands of new citizens. Those last 
two numbers are greater than the numbers of all of the immigrants admitted by all of the other countries on this planet combined. And so when we saw this creation of sanctuary cities, and it goes back decades, uh, I was a big fan of Mayor Ed Koch here in New York. I thought he was probably the best mayor we had. Uh, Even he bought into this business about shielding, quote, unquote, the immigrants from immigration law enforcement, and that's nuts. I think he was misguided. I think he was a good guy. But there's an awful lot of people who make an awful lot of money by suppressing the wages of American workers and creating opportunities for immigration law firms to have millions of clients. The whole point of comprehensive immigration reform, as I've pointed out innumerable times in the past, is not to get the aliens out of the shadows because those laws or those proposed laws would not call for the hiring of a single additional agent, but to give them the incentive to walk into the waiting rooms of immigration law firms across the country. And comprehensive immigration reform, by the way, also would have paid the legal fees for illegal aliens, not because there was concern that this would, that the cost of the fees would impose a hardship on them, but let's be really blunt. Immigration lawyers don't like to work for free. Lawyers are all about billable hours, and we see this on both sides of the aisle. Bob Goodlatte, the former Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, wanted to see comprehensive immigration reform but not where we provided citizenship, just lawful status. Now, why is that? Well, the Republicans don't want them voting. Because if you give them pass the citizenship, ultimately they will, and they tend to vote for the Democrats. Why would he do that? Because Bob Goodlatte, before he came to Congress, had a very successful H-1B visa practice as an immigration attorney, and he was one of the strongest advocates for flooding America with virtually limitless numbers of high-tech American workers, which would have destroyed jobs and has already destroyed the jobs and wages and professions for God knows how many highly skilled, highly experienced, and highly educated American programmers and other professionals. It's the shaft being given to Americans by both political parties. The first president to have the chutzpah and the moral fortitude to stand up to this corruption, because that's exactly what it is, has been Donald Trump. By the way, the current chairperson of the House Immigration Subcommittee is a woman by the name of Zoe Lofgren, who's also an immigration lawyer. I might be mistaken, but I believe at one point she was actually the president of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. I could be wrong on that one, but she's certainly affiliated with AILA, the American Immigration Lawyers Association. So this is about feathering the nests of immigration lawyers irrespective of political party. It's about meeting the demands of the people that provide the campaign contributions, uh, which in my world are bribes. Let's be blunt about all of this. But what we've been witnessing that has been um, infuriating, horrifying, I don't even know what words to use uh, without resorting to some pretty foul language. These sanctuary cities have been harboring and shielding Criminals, murderers, child molesters, gangbangers, people have been dying. And the cities run primarily by left leftists, I mean real leftist Democrat politicians, have been protecting and shielding criminals from detection by immigration enforcement. And by the way, it's not just the criminal aliens that get shielded. It's the human traffickers, because the way you put a case together against human traffickers, for those of you not familiar with law enforcement, you don't you know, find them in the uh, Internet. You, ha- you, you arrest illegal aliens, you sit them down, and you question them, and you say, okay, how did you get here? Because if you can tell me how you got here, maybe we can work out a deal where you can stay here if you help me to locate, investigate, and prosecute the smugglers who helped you to enter the United States illegally. I know I did the job. I was part of the first anti-smuggling unit in New York City. I was in every squad within the investigations branch at the former Immigration and Naturalization Service. So you will have aliens who will say, absolutely, I'll tell you who the person is. This is his name. This is his phone number. This is the address where the house was. And you put a case together and you can go after human traffickers. When you are unable to identify and arrest aliens who are smuggled into the country, not only are you shielding the smuggled aliens, but you're shielding the smugglers. You're also helping the employers who look to hire illegal aliens 
by making it more difficult to push back against illegal immigration. And you encourage huge numbers of illegal aliens, including fugitives, to come to those sanctuary cities. That includes drug dealers, terrorists, and so forth. That is why, in large measure, New York City was the hub for El Chapo Guzman, the horrific drug trafficker from Mexico who was arrested and successfully prosecuted a couple of years ago. You would think that if you're running a major criminal enterprise, the last place you'd want to be is in the city that has the biggest police department. And of all the cities in the United States of America, New York City has the largest police department, nearly 38,000 cops. Although I don't know how many remain, lots of them are heading for the door, and who can blame them? They got their running shoes on, and they're running as fast as they can, along with lots of residents, because they're tired of the filth and the corruption and the shootings and the violence and the stupidity of the two imbeciles, the mayor, de Blasio, de Blasio, and Cuomo, the pathological liar. Because that's what they are. I, I've never seen anything like it. And full disclosure, folks, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. I don't take any pride in saying these things. But de Blasio has vilified ICE agents, calling them thugs. Why? What exactly do ICE agents do that's so terrible? Arrest drug dealers and murderers? And people, by the way, that shouldn't be here and they're taking jobs Americans desperately need? Every politician promises, I will help you create jobs if you elect me. Dogcatchers promise to create jobs. ICE agents liberate jobs by taking people off the job who shouldn't be in the United States and by going after the people who intentionally employ illegal aliens. This is something that needs to be done to protect American and lawful immigrant workers. So when you obstruct immigration law enforcement, the people you're blocking are the people that are part of the Joint Terrorism Task Force, the people that are part of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. I was there for the last 10 years of my 30-year career. You're blocking the agents who are supposed to deport criminal aliens as they come out of prison. You're supposed to go after people who lie on their applications for various immigration benefits. And it was determined by the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, that it was immigration fraud, people who lied on visa applications and applications for political asylum and U.S. citizenship and green cards. Those lies, immigration fraud, was the key method of entry and embedding for numerous terrorists, not just on 9-11. What is daunting is to contemplate that in a few short days, we will commemorate the 19th anniversary of the terror attacks of 9-11. And to show you where de Blasio's head is, it's up his tailpipe so far that it's amazing he hasn't suffocated, he attempted to not hold a memorial service for the victims of 9-11 here in New York City. This would have been the first time. What was the excuse? COVID. COVID. The riots were okay. That was fine. Other things are okay. But when there was a funeral for an Orthodox Jew, de Blasio went out there and threatened to have these Jewish worshipers arrested. Think about the anti-Semitism of this character. We've had commemorative ceremonies every year since 9-11, the last 19 years, last 18 years, this being the 19th. So this year we have an excuse. He did not even want to have the twin beams of light uh, illuminating from ground zero, from the new trade center complex into the sky as a fitting memorial to 9-11, representing the twin towers that were leveled when airliners were used as cruise missiles by the scum that launched the attack against us. It took the Stephen Siller Foundation, the Tunnels to Tower Foundation, to overcome that obstacle so we will have the memorial service. But what does it tell you about the efforts of this imbecile, heartless mayor? It's unbelievable. And it falls in line with what Omar, uh, what uh, Congresswoman said when she said that 9-11 was when some people did something. Never mind they were terrorists. Never mind they were radical Islamists. Some people did something. Ilan Omar. Wow. This is where the new Democrat Party has gone, places it shouldn't be going. Some people did something. And for the first time, think about this, because it was 19 years ago, there will be Americans voting in this election for the president 
who were born after the terror attacks of 9-11. Many of these young people, when I speak to them, tell me they know more about Pearl Harbor than 9-11. How insane is that? We lost more people on 9-11 than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And tragically, the death count from 9-11 continues because many first responders are still very sick and dying. Almost every 10 days, there's the report of yet another first responder succumbing to terrible diseases, uh, mostly cancer, respiratory diseases, and that sort of thing because of their exposure to the toxins that were released when the towers came down. So you've got a mayor who wanted to block the memorial service. You have Cuomo calling the immigration agents thugs. And I thought, my God, if they can do this to immigration agents, how soon before they go after all law enforcement? And if you remember, right after de Blasio was elected, the police turned their back on him because of the way he treated them. And now they're living out their fantasy. And the lies just keep on coming. You know, I do podcasts with Dennis Michael Lynch, team DML, DMLnews.com. And I made a point that I've seen cases where we worked investigations and we videotaped criminals committing crimes. In one case, it's an amazing case. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Perhaps one day I'll talk more about it. But we were doing surveillance on a block. We had a police officer in a van running a video camera. We were going to videotape an undercover drug transaction. We had flipped a guy during the course of an arrest. He offered to cooperate. He was going to do a drug buy from an individual that was part of a major drug trafficking organization. And what you do is you document the drug purchase, the exchange of money for drugs, and you build the case, and you give people that you arrest the opportunity to become witnesses, to become cooperators, so we can work our way up the food chain and ultimately take down the whole organization. Well, as this informant was heading to the block, we got a call from a police officer that was working with us, and he was in the surveillance van running the video camera, and he said, wave off the informant. Something is going down right in front of me. I'm not sure what it is, but something is happening. Well, when they reviewed the videotape, we realized what happened. They had recorded the kidnapping of an individual. The police pulled the car over. They weren't part of our operation. And they pulled a guy out of the car in handcuffs. There was a submachine gun on the floor of the car, which, again, is emblematic of how dangerous law enforcement is. We worked with the Miami police, the FBI, DEA. We had murders in California and Florida here in New York. This case stretched across the country. It involved criminal aliens. It involved organized crime. We actually had a mobster who had gone to get an MBA so he wouldn't have to hire accountants to cook the books from the so-called legitimate enterprises that he ran to launder the money that was ill-gotten through criminal enterprise, including a topless joint. They had a couple of strippers who literally became topless. They had their heads taken off because they stole counterfeit money from the mob. I mean, the case went on forever. We locked up an attorney who was involved. It was wild. But the amazing story, and the reason I'm telling you this, is that the guy that pulled off the kidnapping was arrested. And he's sitting in the ATF office because ATF uh, had primary jurisdiction. It was ATF, New New York City Police, and Immigration. And I was the INS case agent on this particular investigation. And while I was out as part of an arrest team arresting still more defendants, they, this guy gets arrested. They bring him into the office. He's there with his lawyer, and he's screaming at the agents. He was a big, burly uh, thug from the Dominican Republic, and he's yelling at everybody, I didn't do a kidnapping. You're a bunch of liars. You're a bunch of this, and you're a bunch of that, and I'll spare you the four-letter language. And the lawyer threatened the, the agents, I'm going to go after you. You're ruining my, my client's reputation. Client's reputation. The guy had a rap sheet. You could have papered the office with it. And for felonies, it was unbelievable. And then they ran the videotape. And the guy looked at the videotape. He looked at his lawyer. He walked over to the garbage can, and he upchucked about three days' worth of food. They said he just stood there and emptied out his guts because he knew they had him. They had him cold. He was shaken. He was as pale as a bed sheet. He sat down in the chair with wobbling knees, this big. This guy was physically huge. And he was trembling like a little boy. And he looked up at the agents and he looked up at the police officers and he looked to his attorney and he said, you got me. I was lying. I apologize. Is there any way I could work with you 
because I know I'm looking at life in jail. And he started to cry like a little kid. We had him. He's probably sitting in a cage somewhere right now with a bunch of other thugs we locked up. And, of course, we were the thugs for taking a piece of garbage like that off the street. Think about that. Now, why do I tell you this story? Because you have this imbecile, Cuomo, who gets in front of the cameras, national television news conference. He was doing it every week. He thought he had his own program at CNN, the Andy and Chris show. And he talked about how the federal government gave him everything he could have possibly wanted to protect New Yorkers from the COVID virus. The president sent the hospital ship, turned the Javits Center into the biggest field hospital, in fact, the biggest hospital period in the United States, set up satellite field hospitals, provided New York City and New York State with nurses and doctors, everything they wanted. The president, um, if you remember, using the War Powers Act, compelled companies to build ventilators and other protective gear. They weren't moving fast enough. He said, fine, I'm invoking the War Powers Act as president. And we wound up, the Americans wound up producing so many ventilators in short order that we were able to distribute them to our allies around the world who are also suffering from the COVID virus. And Cuomo stood in front of the cameras and said, what an amazing thing the federal government has done. There isn't anything that we could have wanted that we didn't get and get it quickly. Lots of lives were saved. We heard it from California, the same thing. My God, the federal government, President Trump, we have political differences, but thank you for saving so many lives. It's on tape. Just as sure as that kidnapping was on tape. And now Cuomo comes out and says, it's the president who killed all the people. Anybody who died in America from COVID, the blood is on the president's hands. How is it that a thug who has a very small education background, he was barely literate, could understand that you've got a videotape, you've got him putting handcuffs on a guy and throwing him in the back of the car. He obviously did a kidnapping. It was obviously him. Says, you got me. Cuomo supposedly is educated. I think he flunks the wiggle test, however. If you're not familiar with the wiggle test, I'll fill you in on it. You may want to administer it from time to time. You stick your left finger in your left ear. You stick your right finger in your right ear. You wiggle your fingertips, and if they touch, you flunk. I am convinced that what separates Cuomo's two ears is a wind tunnel. There's nothing there. Because there he was repeatedly on national TV. It was obviously him. It was his ugly mug. No one else looks like that. Okay? And there was this big sealed governor of the state of New York in front of him. Had to be him. On the one hand, wow, what the feds did for us is phenomenal. And you wait a month and you come out and now you go 180 degrees in the opposite direction and you blame all the COVID deaths on the president when he, in fact, has tons of blood on his hands and he's probably freaking out because now the Justice Department is investigating how various states, including New York State, Cuomo's state, the state that he supposedly runs when he isn't running his big mouth, saying stupid things, illogical things and lies. They're saying, wait a minute, why are there thousands of dead people in New York? We gave you clear instructions that if old people had the COVID virus, they were not to be put back in nursing homes unless you could isolate them, test them, and treat them. Cuomo took the shorthand and said, oh, they said we had to put them back in the nursing homes. No. What the federal government said, they gave them guidelines that said, no, if you can't isolate them and you can't test to make sure whether or not they have the disease, don't let them back. In fact, I know people who could not go to their dying spouses who were in nursing homes because the fear was they could bring the COVID virus into the nursing homes. But Cuomo ordered sick people back into the nursing homes and they had the COVID virus. And we had thousands of dead bodies mostly the elderly. We had refrigerator trucks with bodies piled in them like firewood. That's Mr. Cuomo's handiwork. He bears the responsibility. He made the decisions. He issued those instructions. It was in the newspapers. Maybe the newspapers were lying, so maybe he'll attack the newspapers next. So when he saw that, go on defense, go on offense, attack the president, attack the president. Those people never should have been admitted into nursing homes. 
but they were. And it was a disaster. And it was a disaster. And you speak to the people, they are now looking to sue. Janice Dean from Fox News is looking to sue. She was on television. She lost her in-laws that way. This isn't a secret. I've never in my life seen anything like this. How many people have we seen killed by criminal aliens in California, all over the United States? And still, we have sanctuary cities. We've had cases in Maryland where two MS-13 gang members were arrested for attempted murder. ICE lodged a detainer. They turned them loose. And within a couple of days, if that long, they killed a 14-year-old girl who they believe ratted them out to the police. They killed her with knives and baseball bats. And it's story after story after story like that. And when the rioting started, what did we hear from the mainstream media? There's no violence. These are peaceful demonstrators. The president is, is, is obstructing peaceful demonstrations. Former President Obama said the same thing. These were peaceful demonstrators. They're concerned about cops killing black people. There's no such thing as Antifa. There is no violence. And then, if you saw the hearing, it was, it was masterful at the House Judiciary Committee, chaired by the ever-unpopular Nadler. The Republicans put up a video. Well, you've got news reporters. This was incredible. It was almost a parody. This almost could have been on Saturday Night Live if it wasn't so tragic. Reporters saying these are mostly peaceful demonstrators other than the fires that have been set. And you look at the steam behind the reporter and their flames shooting into the sky as businesses are being burned to the ground. Largely peaceful demonstrators except for the fires. Wow. Wow. Lie after lie. It's on videotape. Are you going to listen to me? Are you going to, listen? Are you going to believe my lies or your eyes? That's basically what they're asking the American people. How do you call what happened peaceful? How do you deny it's happening? Well, enough people with their own cell phones, enough videos got out. It took a couple of months. And so finally, they had to admit that people were on to their lies. So then, again, ignoring what they said before, ignoring the tape, ignoring the news reports that denied everything, Trump did all this. It's happening because of Trump. What's happening? Last week, you said there was no violence. Now you're saying there was violence, but now we're going to blame Trump for the violence you said never happened. I have to tell you, we make judgments about who we can trust based on how they perform. Johnny Cochran, the brilliant defense attorney who defended O.J. Simpson, got him off the hook, had a wonderful statement that I think is, is a great bit of advice for everybody under all circumstances. If you cannot trust the messenger, you cannot trust the message. Cuomo has proven himself to not be worthy of anybody's trust. De Blasio, the same story. Nancy Pelosi, who had an incredibly bad hair day earlier this week, woke up apparently to find that lots of her disgusted neighbors hung hair curlers and hair dryers on the tree in front of her mansion. I guess she choked on her ice cream when she looked out the window and, 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 and saw all of these hair dryers and curlers hanging on her tree. The game is over. Everybody knows these are liars. They're elitists. They don't care about the lives that are lost. They don't care about the livelihoods that are lost. And you really have to wonder, because President Clinton, during the campaign, hung up signs at his campaign headquarters that said, it's the economy, stupid. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, what he meant was people vote their wallet. If they're doing okay economically, then they're going to vote for that candidate. It's always about the wallet. It's always about the economy. So you have to wonder if the same people that don't give a damn how many children get shot. Uh, and by the way, one person shot is, is one person too many. Every death is a tragedy. It's common sense. It's what Judaism preaches and teaches. It's what decent people believe. Any loss of life is a tragedy. Let's be very clear about it. But the numbers of people who are killed by police is very, very small. I believe that the Attorney General pegged the number at, at something on the order of 143 um, uh, whites and 125 blacks last year. It's a small number. 
you could have that kind of carnage on a bad weekend in the United States because of the lawlessness that has been encouraged by the movement to defund the police. And now, of course, they're saying, we're not defunding the police. Oh, no, well, what are you doing? Well, we're taking the money and putting it elsewhere. How is that not defunding? I mean, you thought Bill Clinton was slick with redefining the word is or redefining what sexual relations is? Think about that. New York City cut a billion dollars from the budget for the New York City Police Department. A billion dollars. That's not defunding? I don't care that you're spending the money elsewhere. The money for the police department is gone. It was defunded. Oh, no, it's not defunded. We're just moving the money around. These people are pathological liars. And once someone lies to you significantly, you must never, ever trust them again about anything. Period. That isn't what defunding is. I want someone to explain what the term defunding means. We're taking the money from the police and we're putting it elsewhere. I don't care what you do with that money. I don't care if you buy a Rolls Royce or put up a new hospital. The impact on the police is defunding. They are losing the funds they need to do the job to protect the citizens. Isn't it the case? We're not defunding them. Sure thing. Believe that nonsense. The problem that we're facing when I think about Martin Luther King and his moral leadership, all the blood and sweat that went into the civil rights movement. By the way, it wasn't only blacks. There were whites, Jews, Christians, all sorts of people were angered, disgusted with Jim Crow and segregation and all those terrible things that had happened. If you want to see a really good movie, it's heart-wrenching, but Mississippi Burning lays out the story about what happened. And two of those civil rights workers were Jews who came from the north, went down south, and were killed for trying to desegregate the south. Now you have the radical Democrat Party trying to impose segregation again. There's no other way of describing it. They're racist. Think about that. They are racist. Let me read to you the definition of racist or racism. Prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized. Typically, but it doesn't have to be. Because when you talk about white privilege, and when you listen to the father of the individual who was shot in the back, and that jury literally hasn't even been convened yet, there's a lot of moving parts to these situations. And he said, the problem is the Jews control the media. The same media that lies all the time, right? The Jews did it. What do you call that if that isn't racism or bigotry? By the way, another definition, the belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to one another. White privilege, hmm? what does that mean? What does that mean? The Jews, huh? Joe Biden, when he said, you ain't black if you don't vote for me. So all blacks should be thinking the same way, have the same exact values, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those people. It's racism. And the media, of course, goes along with this fake, dangerous narrative. So if there's a person who's shot and he's black, they'll run the video on the 6 o'clock news or the 11 o'clock news or the morning news. But yet, according to the statistics, more whites than blacks are shot. Now, It's disproportionate because there are many more whites in America than blacks. But let's be fair. When was the last time you saw a video of a white person being shot by a police? I can't remember the last time. And is it about color or is it about the behavior of the person who got shot? Are there bigots out there? Sure. Are there people with badges who are bigots? Yes. And I've encountered people, by the way, who had badges. And on the city, state, federal level, who would say things where you would kind of stop and say, what did he say? And it wasn't only white against black. It could have been black against white, Latino against black, all kinds of crazy things. Didn't happen often, very infrequently. But there are people who shouldn't be in law enforcement. There are doctors who shouldn't be doctors. I've written pieces about this. 
Johns Hopkins, highly respected, did a study two years ago and found that a minimum of 250,000 people died that year because of medical malpractice. They said the number could have been closer to 440,000. Nearly a half million people died because of medical malpractice. And we have a handful of people dying because of law enforcement possible malpractice. Again, what were the circumstances surrounding the shooting? Why are we zooming in only on race? I'd like to know a couple of other factors that no one ever talks about. Of the people who were shot by police, irrespective of color, how many were college graduates? How many were high school graduates? How many did not go to high school? How many came from families where there was no father present? How many of them had prior arrests? How many of them had a problem with either alcoholism or drug addiction? You see? There's a lot of factors. We know that children who are raised in broken households very often have problems. Whether or not the radical left wants to believe it, uh, biology isn't man-made. It's not artificial. Um, Normally, humans travel in families. You have a mama bear, papa bear, and baby bears, and the yin and yang, the balance by a mother and a father, are very helpful to creating a well-rounded usually, not always, well-rounded, emotionally stable person. When you don't have the influence of either the mother or the father, there is an imbalance, and sometimes the results can be tragic. Of course, you have parents where you have a mother and father and they abuse the children, and we've had cases where parents have killed their own kids. So there's lots of issues. But the point is, how many of the people that wind up in fatal shooting situations with the cops behave in a certain way? or are predisposed to react a certain way. This is always focused on what did the cop do. We need to look at what the person did prior to shots being fired. No one wants to talk about that. There's a lot of elements to the story about who gets shot and why. And when you convince people that the police aren't going to just pull you over and give you a ticket but kill you, which is the narrative that's out there, then you may have people, particularly young black men, seeing a police car behind them, freaking out and acting in such a way that we wind up with a tragic um, situation. Instead of saying, this is how we need to deal with things. You know, how many times have you heard uh, black leaders say, well, I gave my kid the talk. What's the talk? Well, what to do when you get stopped by the police? Let me tell you what, I'm white. And many years ago, More years ago than I want to remember, my father gave me the talk. If you get pulled over by a police officer, and we didn't even have four-way flashes back then, by the way, he simply said, put on the lights in the interior of your car, roll down the window, turn off the engine, put both hands on top of the steering wheel, and play Simon Says. Don't reach for anything until the police officer asks for it, and then tell him before you do it, if you want my license, it's in my left back pocket. It's in my wallet. Don't reach for it. Ask the police officer, officer, do you want me to get my wallet? It's in my left back pocket. You see, I had to talk. And I'll let you in on a secret. And I spent 30 years in law enforcement. My kids got the same talk. And I told them if you're a passenger in a car and not driving and they get pulled over, make sure that everyone shuts up, turn on the lights, and put your hands on top of your knees so that the police officer can see everyone's hands. Car stops are very dangerous. It's one of the most dangerous things you can do in law enforcement. Lots of cops get killed and badly hurt that way. The car is a weapon. You don't know who you stopped. There might be weapons in the car. It's a dangerous situation. Let's make it safer or as safe as we can make it. So everyone should get the talk. You know what? It should be part of the curriculum for our students in school. Instead, what they're hearing is the cops are the enemy and they're going to kill you. So some young black man gets pulled over, and he panics, and he does something he shouldn't do, misinterprets what he's witnessing, and we have a tragedy. This is nuts. But you almost have to believe that the radicals want this. Because if you read what John F. Kennedy said, and I I wrote about this, and again, I'm going to urge all of you to please uh, take the time, take the time to go back, if you haven't read my article, I want you to read my article that I that was published in Front Page Magazine back on August the 26th. Radical Democrats have become the adversaries of freedom. 
because John F. Kennedy was so crystal clear about how the insurgents operate, but his concern back then was that they were operating in countries around the world that were emerging as democracies. As they sought freedom, uh, the communist countries, China, Russia, and so forth, were playing a game of whack-a-mole trying to suppress these emerging democracies. The tactics that he laid out were precisely the tactics that we're witnessing now in these cities. Uh, let me read something to you. Now, here, here he was describing the countries that were the adversaries of freedom, to use his terms. They, that's these countries, enemies of freedom, they possess a powerful intercontinental striking force, large forces for conventional war, are well-trained underground in nearly every country. Think about Antifa and all these crazy lunatics, the rioters, okay? The power to conscript talent and manpower for any purpose, again, how many people do they bring on board with them, acting as sleeper cells, if you will? The capacity for quick decisions, a closed society without dissent or free information. Think about how this nonsense about political correctness, and there's no such thing. I don't use that word. I call it Orwellian newspeak. I think about fake news, and over 80% of the American people in a recent poll said they don't believe the news anymore. This is America, and we don't believe the news in America. What does that tell you about how America has been altered? So, a closed society without dissent or free information and long experience in the techniques of violence, violence and subversion. They make the most of their scientific successes, their economic progress, and their pose as a foe of colonialism. You know, it's interesting, but Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I call her Alexandria the barmaid, during the speech, said point blank, I am opposed to colonialism. I am the foe of colonial. Almost exactly the words Kennedy used back in 1961, almost 60 years ago, 59 years ago. That speech was given on May 25, 1961, before a joint session of Congress. Isn't it remarkable? So she said that she was a foe of colonialism, which is exactly what Kennedy said. They pose as a foe of colonialism and a friend of popular revolution. They prey on unstable or unpopular governments, unsealed or unknown boundaries. That means open borders, folks. Think of this push. No more borders, no more immigration, right? Unfilled hopes, convulsive change, massive poverty, illiteracy, unrest, and frustration. Today we have, I would argue, 30 or 40 million illegal aliens living in the United States. Many of them do not speak, read, or write English. Many of them are barely able to read their own native language. Some of them not at all. They encountered them. I have arrested people. They couldn't sign their own name. They had to put an X on the paper when we gave them the Miranda warning, and we had to have witnesses witness that they put an X on the paper. Massive illiteracy. Think of how the educational system is all messed up, how in some cities the children can't pass minimum standards in literacy or mathematics, and they're graduating from high school ill-equipped to support themselves, and these are American children because of how screwed up the schools have become, right? So let me go back and read this. A closed society without dissent or free information and a long experience, and then they said, I'm reading the wrong sentence, bear with me, I'm sorry. They prey on unstable or unpopular governments. They've made the government unpopular, not my president. And they said this to people right away. You know, when I studied political science back at Brooklyn College, and I didn't really think it was a science after having been a science major. Two of my kids are engineers. In fact, that had been my original dream. But one of the things that was, you know, hammered home is that when a government lacks legitimacy, revolution follows. Are we not witnessing revolution? Have we not seen since President Trump came down the escalator at Trump Tower an effort to delegitimize government, and particularly his campaign and, and the government under Trump. We had Russian collusion. It's now been proven to be fake. You now have the first legal casualty, the attorney who admits that he altered a critical piece of email that became part of the predication for the FISA warrant. Lie after lie to delegitimize the government, to cause frustration, to make the government unpopular. Think of what the word unpopular means. Popular relates back to the populace, the people. Unpopular means that the public doesn't believe in their own government anymore. And that has been the push. 
not my president, not my government, can't trust the election. Hillary Clinton telling everybody what? Telling Biden what? Even if you lose, don't concede. What? But they blame Trump and say, oh, he he won't step down if he loses. And you have Hillary saying to Biden, don't concede no matter what happens. They're trying to foment revolution in America. Who's behind it? Well, you can only imagine. There's been story after story about China and its influence on our universities. There's an investigation underway by Betsy DeVos that over $6 billion have been poured into colleges that went unreported. So how much more money was reported? But we now know of at least $6 billion from China, from Qatar, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, all these foreign countries. But China is way up on the list, and Russia and possibly Iran. Why? Because once you put your people on the campus and you put in that kind of money, you get to pick faculty and curriculum so that you teach kids that America is a lousy country. It all started with we're going to kneel before the national anthem. And isn't it remarkable that in Hong Kong, as they watch their dreams of freedom and independence from China fade, what flag did you see in abundance in Hong Kong? It was the red, white, and blue. It was old glory. What color is the Russian flag? What color is the French flag? The French call it the three color, the three colors. Instead of red, white, and blue, it's blue, white, and red. We were the inspiration for freedom around the world. And now we're being told what a lousy country America is. It was America that was the voice and the champion of freedom and democracy. But these idiots are clueless. So what they don't understand is that if you destabilize the U.S. government and it falters, China and Russia and Iran are waiting in the wings. And do you know what will happen to all those protesters? Do you have any idea? They will be lined up against the wall and executed summarily. They are troublemakers. They will use them to do their bidding. And once it's done with, they will be disposed of because they would pose a threat to the strict order that these totalitarian dictatorships demand. They're just too damn stupid to understand that these people will be used for target practice repeatedly. Target practice. Imbeciles. President Kennedy went on and said, with these formidable weapons, the adversaries of freedom plan to consolidate their territory, to exploit, to control, and finally to destroy their hopes of the world's newest nations. And they have ambition to do it before the end of this decade. It is a contest of will and purpose as well as a force and violence, a battle for the minds and souls as well as the lives and territory, and in that contest, we cannot stand aside. That's exactly what President Kennedy said. And by the way, Biden said that this is an election for the hearts and souls of America, or words to that effect. Kennedy was right on the money, except he was looking outward, and today we're looking inward at what is happening within our own borders. And then Kennedy said, we stand as we have always stood from our earliest beginnings for the independence and equality, equality of all nations. This nation was born of revolution and raised in freedom, and we do not intend to leave an open road for despotism. There is no single simple policy which meets this challenge. Experience has taught us that no one nation has the power or the wisdom to solve all the problems of the world or manage its revolutionary tides, that extending our commitments does not always increase our security, that any initiative carries with it the risk of a temporary defeat, that nuclear weapons cannot prevent subversion, and that no free people can be kept free without will and energy of their own. Wow. Now, what's also interesting, if you go through Kennedy's speech, and he deals with with other issues as well, and one of the other issues that he dealt with was the issue of, let me see if I could bring this up real quickly. Oh, goodness, I don't know if I can. Um, Bear with me one second, folks. I want to see if I can quickly get to this other thing that he said, because it was really brilliant. Because he talked about the economics of the United States. And I want you to think about the politicians from both sides of the aisle 
who've said we've got to import the world's best and brightest so America can lead. And once we educate the foreign students in our schools, we shouldn't be sending them home. We need to keep them here. Kennedy didn't say that. Kennedy said this. Under economic and social progress at home, he said, but first a basic task confronting this nation this year was to turn recession into recovery. An affirmative anti-recession program initiated with your cooperation, meaning Congress, supported the natural forces in the private sector, and our economy is now enjoying renewed confidence and energy. The recession has been halted and recovery is underway, but the task of abating unemployment and achieving the full use of our resources does remain a serious challenge for us all. Large-scale unemployment during a recession is bad enough, but large-scale unemployment during a period of prosperity would be intolerable. Now listen to this. I am therefore transmitting to the Congress a new manpower development and training program to train or retrain several hundred thousand workers. And here, folks, we're talking about Americans, okay, particularly in those areas where we've seen chronic unemployment as a result of technological factors and new occupational skills over a four-year period in order to replace those skills made obsolete by automation and industrial change with the new skills which the new processes demand. Is that not amazing? He didn't say, let's go look for skilled workers around the world. He said, let's take American workers and educate them, train them so that they could get better jobs using the newest skills because of automation and so forth. Well, today it's computerization and so forth, but it's the same situation. People say, well, why are you a registered Democrat? That's why. Because John F. Kennedy looked at American workers and said, what do I do to lift American workers? Today's politicians look at American workers and say, what can I do to screw American workers? It's coming from both parties. Trump is the first one to say, let's put Americans first. And fools that we've been, people say, oh, my God, he's a xenophobe. Do you leave your door unlocked at night? If you do, you're a damn idiot. This isn't about being a xenophobe. Think about what I'm telling you. Finally, the New York Times reported last night, suspect in fatal Portland shooting is killed by officers during arrest. Law enforcement agents killed Michael Forrest Rhino, I guess that's how you pronounce his name, while trying to arrest him. Four officials said he was being investigated in the fatal shooting of a supporter of a far-right group. It goes on and says, this is in Seattle, an Antifa supporter being investigated in the fatal shooting of a right-wing activist who was part of a pro-Trump caravan in Portland, Oregon, was killed on Thursday night when authorities moved to arrest him. The suspect, Michael Forrest Reinhold, 48, was shot by officers from a federal fugitive task force during their encounter in Lacey, Washington, southwest of Seattle, according to four law enforcement officials familiar with the investigation. Lieutenant Ray Brady of the Thurston County Sheriff's Office said in an interview that law enforcement team was in the area looking for a homicide suspect. He could not confirm that it was Mr. Reinhold and that the suspect exited an apartment and got into a vehicle. Quote, as they attempted to apprehend him, there was gunfire. Lieutenant Brady said that four law enforcement officers fired their weapons. Something jumps out of that article that maybe didn't catch your eye, but it sure as hell caught my eye. The shooting was in Portland, Oregon. Where was this guy arrested? Near Seattle. Why was he in Seattle? Because of the mayhem in Seattle. Think of the chop zone. And by the way, Kennedy also talked about that in his speech to Congress, that the insurgents would set up zones within sovereign countries to foment revolution. Isn't that what the chop zone was? So you have a fugitive wanted for murder, allegedly wanted for murder, going to Seattle. Why? Because sanctuary locations, locations of lawlessness, attract law violators and fugitives. That's the point with sanctuary cities. Now we're seeing expand to all fugitives. And now, according to the president, the Democrats said, well, you can give out the money, the stimulus money, but we have to release more criminals. Why would you want to put more criminals on the street? I understand when they talk about nonviolent, you know, the guy that, uh, that owes parking tickets shouldn't be in jail. The guy who shoplifted, maybe there's solutions. But we're talking about 
thugs, people who have committed rape and murder and drug trafficking and gun violations. And I want you to know that when you're dealing with criminals, unless you're, you've been there, you don't understand what depravity or sociopathic conduct looks like. I remember a case where uh, I was the team leader. We were going after a bunch of Russian mobsters. They were involved with murder, extortion, narcotics trafficking, you name it, they did it, lots of violent crimes, extensive rap sheets. In fact, as we were being briefed in preparation to fan out and make the arrests all over New York and relating areas, we actually had to give the, uh, the team leaders our medical records because there was real concern that there would be shootouts. We had a helicopter standing by with rotor blades turning. This was a medevac chopper. We had trauma surgeons standing by with nurses in rooms that were prepared so that if any of us were shot, we would be airlifted right into an, emer- right into an operating room. It was a combat operation, basically. And then I believe they had two separate members of the clergy to come in and say prayers for the safety of those involved. I believe there was a rabbi and a priest or perhaps a rabbi and a minister. But, I mean, this was really serious, and there were about 100 of us. I remember a couple of the kids, the young agents who were there, uh, looked rather agitated. So I thought a little bit of humor might be helpful. So in the middle of the briefing, I stood up, raised my hand, and the, the briefing agent said, yeah, Mike, what do you got? I said, given all of the circumstances, it's too late to take sick leave today. Everybody laughed, but it accomplished what I wanted. I wanted to relieve some of the tension in the room. Well, we went to make the arrest at my location, and I was the team leader at my location, and this guy had a rap sheet a mile long. I want you to imagine, if God forbid this happened to you, how your wife or your significant other, your husband would react, whatever. We went in. The guy... I don't know if she was his wife or his girlfriend, was very pregnant. We, we had a warrant. We took the door down after we knocked. She opened the door. Rather, we came in. I grabbed the guy out of bed, threw him on the floor, got on top of him with a drawn gun because we knew that we were supposed to expect guns in the apartment. The guy was involved in numerous shootings. And my partner handcuffed him while I held him at gunpoint. And in the middle of all this, instead of screaming and looking all worked up, she walked in and said, Is he going to federal court or state court? I said federal court. So the guys on the ground were cuffing him up, and she says to him, you're not going to believe this, what shirt do you want to wear for court today? What socks would you like to have so it matches the shirt? You would have thought he was getting dressed for another day at the office. I I could tell you stories that you wouldn't believe, the squalor under which I found children, the drugs, the craziness. They're a separate species, not based on their race or their religion. We had another case where we were doing an investigation with the cops of a guy whose wife and two kids were murdered by the drug cartels from Colombia, and he was a drug dealer from Colombia. And he came home, and he screwed somebody on a drug deal, and there was a note waiting for him. Your wife and kids are at the school. Well, the school was closed. It was during the summer. And when he got to the school, his baby was hanging naked, upside down, tied by the ankles like a slaughtered pig, with his throat slit ear to ear, and there was a note pinned to the baby's naked chest that said, Mommy's in the bathroom. He ran into the school, and there was his wife dead, suffocated with a plastic bag around her head. Um, She had obviously been raped numerous times. There was semen everywhere. I don't want to get too graphic. And another naked baby in her arms with its throat slashed. And we're questioning him. This is two days after the fact, so the enormity of the crime had to have sunk in. And I said, you need to help us. And he looked at me and said, I'll take care of it myself. And I was incredulous. And he said to me, listen, I said, well, how could you do this? Get involved with drugs and have this happen to your family. He said, I could live more in five years in America than I could live in Colombia in a lifetime. And as for my wife, too bad. I'm young enough. I'll find a new woman. She'll give me new babies. And one of the older agents looked at me. He said, do you understand what we're up against? He said, this guy would just as soon kill you as talk to you. This is what we are inviting onto our streets. Anybody who thinks that they're doing society a favor by defunding the police or not backing the police understand that they're creating carnage in the street. They're more concerned with votes than they are with the lives of the victims. You must get involved, folks. Please have conversations with your neighbors this Labor Day weekend. I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. I hope you have a good weekend. 
stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long for now. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.